Hello, I'm Anne Mossop, Sydney Writers' Festival Artistic Director. We hope you enjoy this episode from our podcast program. Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne Mossop from the Sydney Writers' Festival, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you here tonight for an event with Trent Dalton about his amazing new novel, Lola in the Mirror. I'd like to acknowledge that we meet on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. This evening's one of a special few evenings we're having in the second part of the year, warming you up before Christmas for what's going to be an amazing festival next year. So do come and join us to hear from Richard Flanagan about his new book or the British crime fiction writer Richard Osman, both happening in November. Tonight, Trent is going to be in conversation with a wonderful journalist, Indira Naidu, broadcaster, a journalist, author, currently the presenter of Evenings on Radio Sydney, also the host of Compass, her most recent book, The Space Between the Stars. So settle in. Those of you who know Trent's books uh, know that you're going to be in for a wonderful evening of storytelling. Um, and so please join me in welcoming Indira Naidu and Trent Dalton to the stage. Thank you. Thank you. You came. You actually came. <laughs> Love you so much. Indira Naidu. <laughs> Trent Dalton. Oh, I think we're in for a great night, Trent. What an audience. Oh, you look so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, thank you for that welcome. Uh, and thank you very much to Anne. I too would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we meet on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, both past, present and emerging. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. <laughs> yes! <laughs> now to our wonderful guest. Now, few Australian authors can fill a recital hall like the bloke we're going to get up close and personal with tonight. And that's because few others have done what Trent Dalton has done. He has packed so much into the last five years. Have a listen to this. Already an established Walkley Award-winning journalist, Trent turned his considerable gift for storytelling to his first book published in 2018. The semi-autobiographical Boy Swallows Universe broke all records, became an international bestseller, and was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Award. I've honestly never met anyone who doesn't adore that book. Beautiful. <laughs> We're, it's, we're like two minutes in and I'm, I'm getting teary. <laughs> Wait for it. There'll be tears, more tears. We'll work through this together. <laughs> and it doesn't stop there. The Queensland Theatre Company turned Boy Swallows Universe into a hit stage production. Some of you may have already seen that. And Joel Edgerton has directed a blockbuster TV series based on the book, starring Brian Brown, Anthony LaPaglia and Deborah Mailman, which will air sometime on Netflix late, is it uh, later b- this? Before the end of cricket season. Before the yeah. end of cricket season. <laughs> so that's very exciting. So you've got that no, to look forward to as well. Have your subscriptions in the new year, like have them. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't stop there. Trent quickly followed up with two more novels, All the Shimmering Skies and Love Stories, both achieving popular and critical acclaim. 
Now, trans fans have a new book to devour, Lola in the Mirror, and I can tell you, you're in for another heart-exploding adventure. I loved it. I loved this book. Trent Dalton, welcome to Sydney. Oh, man. You're amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, um, if you read Boy Swallows Universe, there's the chapters that aren't in there are Jesse Dalton and Trent Dalton watching this extraordinary woman on the television and just dreaming, (laughs) dreaming of having such grace, um, such compassion, um, and, and just dreaming of having a bloody chat to a woman <laughs> such as Indira Naidu. So oh, thank that's you very so sweet. Much. You're very kind. Now, when I read all those accomplishments just in the last five years, did that feel like you and the life you've just led over the last five years, or did it feel like I was reading about someone else? Oh, you're amazing. You're amazing. No, it felt like you're reading about Eli Bell. I swear, that's how I see it. Like, that, when I see that, it's like I got into some David Lynch movie and I became someone else. And it's not the guy who's the journo that you were talking about, who I'm much more familiar with. Yeah. And the past five years has been this beautiful dream and it's like spotlit like that. And um, it's this dream where I come into halls like this and these extraordinary Sydney people come and go, hey, I read that weird story about Dara, Queensland, Australia, and we believe um, you're worth listening to. Mm. And there was no, that's a total dream, Indira. Like that, that, that was always just nutty. And, and so it, it does, it, it feels like, um, but, but here's what happens. Um, I've got these two daughters, right? And they're like, nah, dad, you are that guy. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's so beautiful. They're like, hey, just, just deal with it, mate. Like just become it, you know? I can't and help stop. from reading your books and, and reading your work, your journalism as well, reading what's happened and how the response to your work has been mm. so incredible. It does feel like life mimicking art, mimicking life mimicking art. I mean, do you sometimes think, am I in a book? Like your, your life story feels like a book in itself. Okay, how, how meta is this? I'll go you one more. Yeah. Um, in the TV show, Boy Swallows Universe, I'm the voice on the red phone. Oh. So, I swear to God. So, it's, it's me talking the fictional me based on the real me, <laughs> t- telling, telling fictional me to hold on. And then real me is watching fictional me yeah. in the lounge room in Brisbane okay. with my daughters, Tim McGarry. Um, with my daughters and, and my eldest daughter, Indira, starts, starts weeping. Oh, man, no, no. You should, oh, you guys are the best. <laughs> she, starts, she starts weeping, right? Because she sings Simon Baker. Simon Baker wow. has taken an extreme glow down to play my old man. But he's playing him so beautifully. Like, he's never acted the way he's acted. And I'm telling you, I cannot wait for you all to see this man play this Robert Bell character and the love he has for his sons and the love he has for the woman who he messed up with in the 1980s. And my eldest daughter didn't really get to know her papa and, like, he died of emphysema, like, before Boy Swallows Universe. And uh, she starts weeping, Indira, and I go, hey, 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 like, reach over, grab her fingers on the lounge... And um, I go, hey, hey, um, is it too sad? Like, we, we can turn it off. And she's like, nah, Dad, it's too beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I love you. 
but it's on it, you know, and it's like, it's, it's so life imitates art. And then like, mate, it, this is the power of storytelling. And I could urge anyone, please express yourself. Mm. Please express yourself because there is, I promise you, I have learned one thing in the past five years. There is, there is great healing in it. Yeah, we'll talk about that a yeah. little later. I want to get stuck into your latest book, Lola, yeah. in the mirror. It's a story of a mother and a daughter. They're runaways who are living in a car on the banks of the Brisbane River. And there they cross paths with seedy underworld criminals, but there's an incredibly supportive homeless community that also supports and and welcomes them in as well. And Lola, like some of your previous books, explores similar themes. Uh, There's an outcast central character, a young homeless girl. It's set in Brisbane. A couple of your books have featured uh, young children as the central character. I wanted to ask you about that. Almost a trilogy you've got going now. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, it's the end of a trilogy. It really yeah. is. It really is. That girl I'm talking about, my eldest daughter, weirdly, is, has always been the age of the characters in my book. And she's now about to be 17 and go into adulthood. And I don't know why I kept sort of tracking these youths struggling with stuff. And it's as though I was trying to write these little Bibles for them to just go, if you're ever lost, like, just follow these kids, you know? And it's yeah. like... And I, you know, and the funny thing is, like, you know, um, I never expected them to read those books, you know. And the one they, the one they read is love stories. The one that's about really? everything but me, you know. It's really funny, and it's like, and that's really beautiful because there's so much to get from that book about life as well. Um, but, 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 Indira, to be honest, I'm, I'm really taken with Australian kids who can cope with the darkness. And, and find the light because, like, I was that kid. There's just no doubt about it now. Like, I try and kid myself that I was sort of taking all these other kids and, like, I was doing some service for other Australian kids, but really I was just... I, I think I've always been for the past five years writing for 12-year-old me, you know? Like, there's just no doubt. Like, it because how I feel about that boy is, like... Like, I got really complex in adulthood, and, but I swear, Indira, like, you would have liked that kid. Like, I swear you would have liked that little 12-year-old Trent, you know, and, and I sorry. I think I would have. No, like, he's, he's, just, he's just untouched. He's kind of, he's, he's battling, and, and he's going through, like, a lot of shit, and he's missing his mum, and, and his mum's going through worse shit than he is, and I'm so sort of proud of that kid when I think of him, and so I do tend to kind of right for him, and I think even in Lola I probably was, you know, and, and it's kind of, um, it's sort of this universe of these youths that spring from that 12-year-old boy in 1989 Brisbane, you know, yeah. or, um, you know, it's that sort of stuff, but, yeah. Guiding, guiding through, through these difficult times. Guiding through these face. difficult times, because I've, and, I, but it is important to do that, because I do see all the time in journalism, you know, a lot of, a lot of I've done stories on kids who lost a family like that in a car, you know, one kid left, and that kid's still kicking the football in the backyard and finding some joy in getting a spiral in the football. And I'm like, that, hold on to the spiral. Hold on to that, you know, and, mm. and then that will turn into, I'll go read a book. And, you know, that, it's that, you know, I just keep writing about it and you tell it so well. It's, it's the light uh, amid the dark. Yeah. In the opening pages of Lola, you describe a confronting dance and you call it the Tyrannosaurus Waltz. What, what do you mean by the Tyrannosaurus Waltz? Uh, can I go really deep on you? I mean, sure, that's what we're here um, for. Like, the Tyrannosaurus Waltz is that thing 
you know, I reckon a lot of you might have seen it, you know, a lot of people in Australia have sadly seen it. It's that thing that a mum often has to do, or a woman, any woman, doesn't have to be a mum, um, but sadly mums often have to do it because um, sometimes there's a baby in their arms when they're doing it and they're protecting the baby. But what I mean by the Tyrannosaurus waltz is the monster dance, and it's, and it's usually in an enclosed kitchen, a very dangerous enclosed kitchen with no exit routes. And uh, the monster steps to the right, and the mum steps to the left, monster steps to the left, the mum steps to the right, and she cannot get past, and suddenly they're in this monstrous waltz. And like, I saw that as a kid, and I just, it always seemed so macabre to me, Indira, like, um, and, and I just thought, like, who would do that? Like, who would do those movements? Like, she's scared. Mm. Like, she wants to get past you, you know, and um, I'll tell you this thing, I'll tell you where it comes from, like, here's the truth where all this books, all this stuff comes from. So, like, the whole, the whole opening line of that book is, my mother danced the Tyrannosaurus waltz. Well, that's, like, that's my mum. Like, my mum danced the Tyrannosaurus waltz for, like, way too long, you know, and she found herself constantly dancing it. Like, she'd, she'd get away from one guy and just the, the next guy would, would do the dance. And it was just weird, like, that she kept bouncing to these blokes who did this dance. And anyway, she met, and the stuff in Boyceweller's universe, like I'd never wrote about this, and it's the most powerful stuff that I would probably ever have to say, but it's sort of too raw. Um, but like this, this one night, right, so she gets out of prison, which I'm, it's got a reel in, in Boyceweller's universe. Mum did a lag for two years, and it's a very vulnerable time for female prisoners to go into a halfway house, and like it's when you're getting back on your feet and uh, you might live there for a couple of months. And my mum lived in this halfway house in Highgate Hill run by nuns. And uh, you're vulnerable and a lot of dark men come around often offer drugs to women who are trying to kick. And it's a really vulnerable position. Anyway, she met this dude who, on, on the surface, he was a giant of a man and he seemed charming and turned out to be a, another monster. And, uh, and, and one night, uh, she escapes, right? Like she escapes the monster. And she goes running uh, to a Telstra phone box. And she's going to try and call the cops. And uh, she's about to dial triple zero. And the monster catches up to her. And he bursts into the Telstra phone box. And he wraps his hands around my mum's neck and strangles her. And, uh, and like, she was done, Indira. Like, she was done. And, and she fell to the concrete. And there was one thing that kept that woman alive, and it was a vision she had of her four boys. Mm. And she got up, and she called triple O, and then the cops came, and uh, this was the 1990s, so we weren't great at dealing with this stuff, and the police said uh, she had two options. Uh, she had homelessness, or she could go back to the monster. And the one they recommended was going back to the monster, and they told her um, to find strategies to not aggravate the monster. That's a fact. And, you know, my mum, these are harrowing, these books, for my mum, but she is so proud of them, Indira, and, 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 you know, she's like, every time, like, we do anything, she's just like, you better go full tilt, like, 
the man who wrote the play for Boy Swallows Universe is so wonderfully in the audience tonight. And Tim McGarry, ladies and gentlemen, and mum just said, please tell Tim, do not go soft on those issues, you know? Mm. And I'm so proud of her, like, to let me do it, to let me sort of be inspired by that stuff. And then can I tell, I just, I'm sorry, Indira, no, I'm sorry, no, please, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what happened next, though. This is, this is the light, right? This is the light. So this is where everything comes from. So mum goes to a DV shelter that night, you know, unbelievable. Like the community, the city, like wraps its arms around my mum. You know what I mean? A community of, of largely women running this shelter in the suburbs that says, come in, we got you tonight, you know. And then the Dalton boys, though, we catch the train home and, and we're on way back to my dad's house in Brackenridge and, uh, and I start bursting out into tears because like I just always did that and I was the softest of all the boys and I was the youngest and I'm just weeping, like just crying like my eldest daughter did when she watched Boy Swallows, just letting rip. And, and my, you know, my oldest brother, Joel, he just goes, tells me a joke, straight away. Joke and another joke and another joke and then suddenly I'm not crying anymore, I'm laughing. And like that, that is a, that feeling is at the heart of everything I have written in the past five years. Mm. Yeah. Amazing, powerful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, it went on. <laughs> no, not at all. I love you. I love you. We're going to get through this together. Your mother's clearly an incredibly courageous woman, but you guys as children were really courageous as well. Oh. People don't often talk about the children in, that, in those domestic violence situations. What, what did you go through that people don't really understand about the children caught in the middle? Oh, well, um, okay. So the next phase of that is mum does go back to the monster and then my older brother Joel um, becomes a man and, and my older brother Ben becomes a man and I become a young man and my brother Jesse becomes a young man and, and Joel says, um, I'm, I've had enough. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go rescue. Why are we letting her live with this? Why are we allowing this? And uh, Joel goes, knocks on the door, um, and, um, and uh, says, this is done. This is done. Um, uh, do not touch her, lay a finger on that woman, um, because she's, we've got her back, you know? And, and he, this guy attacks my brother, and Joel tackles him, like a friggin' Wally Lewis tackle, like right under the pill, lifts him up, drives this guy three metres across on the front yard of this inner city home in Brisbane. And, um, and then the four boys, you know, here's the benefit of four brothers, Indira, one brother per limb. <laughs> it's a fact, it's a fact. <laughs> and Joel's on the left arm, Ben's on the right arm, Jesse's on the left leg, Trent's on the right leg, and he's pinned. And, and mum makes her escape. And then, and then we get to watch, we get to watch the redemption of this freaking beautiful father of mine as we go and, you know, my brother Jesse calls dad. Sorry, I don't know why I'm going this deep into this stuff. It's you, it's your own. My brother Jesse calls dad, right? And he's like, dad, mum's coming over. And that just, that's that's freak out time. Dad's like full sort of still battling with the drink and battling with the, the shit he messed up. He loves that woman. He sings whale song to her at night. It's meant to be Leonard Cohen, but it comes out as 
And it's like, Dad, Dad, she, you know, Mum needs you. She needs you to let her just, just breathe for six months. And that fucking guy, man, Indira, he just goes, all right, all right. <laughs> and she comes, and it's the greatest six months of my life. I'm like, I'm like 16 by then, and I'm just like, who are these humans talking to each other in the kitchen? And it's the most beautiful thing. So, like, I remember, I remember the freaking blood on the walls and the holes in the fibro and all that, and, and like hair stuck in blood. You know what I mean? Specific, horrific things, like hair stuck in blood to a wall. But I remember Dad's beauty, beauty and I remember Mum's relief that this man, this man that she has the most complex relationship, mm. takes her in, and then he changes. He, by doing that, he, he goes on like mid-strength beers. Yeah, like small changes, like massive, you know, he's like, he's eloquent again, and he's like really, really charming again, and he's like saying smart shit to my mum, you know, and I'm really proud of them both, you know, and so it's, it's the full, when you, it's such, Indira, that's the most beautiful question I could, I think I've ever been asked, because you've asked about like, yeah, what, often I talk about mum in all that, yeah, thank you for asking about because it's wild and it's terrifying and, and it's really awful and, and it's like, and it, and it messes, you know, I was, my brother Ben and I went to the Broncos, you know, we watched the Broncos get into the grand final and we sadly lost the grand final. I'm, I'm getting over it slowly, but um, um, afterwards it's like 11 o'clock and we're at the Paddington Tavern and we're just having a beer and Lola came up, like some of the stuff we're talking about and Ben goes, um, Okay, here's the cool thing. So Ben goes, sorry, Indira, I promise this is... No, not... <laughs> no, it's... It, and Ben goes, um, hey, man, I, like, I wanted to kill that guy. Like, I dreamed of killing that guy. And, and you know what I got to say to Ben? At, um, we did this, you know, this thing. He came to this event in Brisbane, and I, he was there, and I was thinking about this. And I turned to Ben, and he was, like, sitting with his wife. And here's what I said. <laughs> I'll try and say it. I said, Ben... Like, I looked at him like that, it's like, Ben, uh, you did it. You killed the monster. Um, all you had to do was become the man that you are. And it's like, man, I'm, we're, we're killing the monster tonight, Indira. Mm. You know, like... Thank you. Thank you. Thank, no, thank you. Clearly... All those experiences feed into the plot lines, the stories, the characters in your books. It's why they are so real, so relatable. But also your journalism, you know. Um, you spend a lot of time on the streets uh, sourcing the characters and, and making yeah, them just yeah. sound so true, uh, getting to know them. These people that slip through the cracks of society, they're the people that you're dra drawn to, Trent, partly because they were the people you probably grew up with as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what you would have, it would have placed you in some situations, some very strange situations, while you were doing research for the book for some mm. of your, your articles. Oh. What were some of the strange situations you, find just, you found yourself in? Oh, I, I, a, lot of, a lot of Lola is... Um, entrenched in this period of journalism I did for about 10 years and it crossed over two magazines that I worked for. This magazine called Q Weekend, it's like the good weekend of Queensland, um, and then um, this, the Weekend Australian magazine. 
And this one, it's the same editor, though, this extraordinary woman named Christine Midap. So, okay, here's the coolest thing. Christine Midap doesn't even know me, right? She doesn't even know me. She comes up to me one day, and she goes, Trent, something about you makes me think you would write a good story on the problems Queensland's having with domestic violence. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, what? Like, you know, that's so deep. And, and this is this woman. And then, and then two years later, Trent, something about you tells me you might write a good story about the issues Australia is having with homelessness. Mm. That at that point, it was 110,000 people sleeping rough every night. It's now 128,000. Yeah. yeah, 122, yeah. right? Okay, upwards of... And it's like, yeah. And I did this sort of... I, I just got the opportunity. You know, great editors, right? Who just have your back. It's not sexy. Like, it's not going to sell newspapers, I tell you. It, and it didn't. But, but it's important, you know? And this woman protected me from the powers that be and said, go off and I want you to document this place for 10 years, like in a Michael Apted 7-Up style. And it's like, are you kidding me? And from that, I, I learned so much about humans and character and, and, like, almost every character in this book is somehow connected to that 10 years. And I, I went and documented this shelter in Brisbane called Third Space, and uh, it's been around for 50 years in Brisbane, and it's been serving 3,500 meals to the homeless every month for 50 years, and I just went in there and just got to know so many different people. I wrote a book called Detours that no one read. It was just, it sold 500 copies. And we did it like out of the shelter, produced it. And, and in like 500 people in Brisbane have this book called Detours. And it features 20 regulars that I interviewed. And, and the whole thing was all about short stories about the detour moment that set each of those individuals on the path to homelessness. So what we were trying to get at is please don't believe that it's always drugs and drink that puts someone on the street. Drugs and drink will keep you on the street, but often it will be a moment of acute misfortune that any one of us could face, mm. um, or a moment of mental health, or a moment of childhood trauma, and, um, or a moment of, for example, a military tank driver has an explosion in Afghanistan, loses his left eye, hits the bottle for the pain. And, and, and there's, the, there's the detour, yeah. you know, and, um, and... I do some work helping out at the Wayside Chapel, our homeless crisis centre here in King's Cross. And it, the, 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 the challenge in this story, which is why I think this book is going to really cut through to so many people, is that we do have this belief that homelessness is something that happens to other people. And when you spend time at the shelters and the Wayside Chapel as we have, you see that this could be you or I. You know, we're all one or two steps away from being homeless ourselves. You can have a marriage in badly, lose your house, lose your job, and there yeah. you are as well. It's not something that happens to people who didn't work hard or didn't save money. You know, that's the, the, it's really interesting in our society, these stories that we tell each other about why people become homeless or houseless, as you say yeah, in the yeah. book, that's probably more appropriate because even your central character and her mother lived in a car, but it was home to them. It wasn't, you know, it, they were homeless, but it was, they were, they had a roof over their head at least, you know. There are places where they find comfort. So even that piece of sheet on a street yeah. uh, protecting someone who's homeless is a home of sorts, you know, yeah. but we don't see it that way. It is, it is a problem driven by two emotions, confusion and sorrow. 
confusion and sorrow, things that we all feel on a daily basis. It's just that those guys are in a place where they're feeling it on an almost 24-7 time. And, and they're just looking for that space. And that doesn't have to have a roof on it. They're just looking for a space where they don't have to be confused and they don't have to be sad. And, and, and this is the thing about you and, and people like you, Indira, who you, you actively go out and say, I'm going to do my bit to not make that person feel sad or confused. You know, you know, like, like, and I just think sometimes, like, if we look at it through the lens of emotion and not through the lens of judgment, like, and just go, yeah, man, I've felt all those things before. Mm. It's just that I was lucky enough to not have to feel them on a consistent basis because I had, like, maybe five people in my life who loved me or, you know, and it's yeah. like... who saved you from falling through the net. Falling through the net, yeah. you know, and then it's like this guy, I gave 20 bucks to a guy and I knew he had, he, he, I was had, right? I mean, like, he, 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 you know, I knew he was about to go take it and grab a goon bag. But it's, yeah, man, I've wanted to have a drink sometimes. Like, I'm hearing you. Like, you, yeah. know, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, he, he, he's running away. He's escaping the same way I escape into books. And it's just like, I've been really lucky to have a really powerful portal that wasn't the, the, the liquor store. You know? The other beautiful thing you do in your books, in, in Lowell in the Mirror as well, is I've been seeing a sense of, again, this, this judgment being applied to people who are poor. Yeah, right. And that somehow being poor is bad and they're oh. bad people. And you give your poor characters, people who don't have a lot of money, such dignity, such nobility. And I don't think we, we see enough of that. We don't hear people talking about that enough. Uh, you know, have you ever had that thing where um, this guy my wife and I were talking to the other day mentioned this? It was such a powerful point. You ever, you ever met a truly rich person and, and they, you enter their home and they do this, like, they do the, they, they, they study you from top to bottom. Like, they're like, hi. Like, they do that, for, like, they'll go, hi. Mm. And... <laughs> And, uh, and like, I don't know, maybe I'm just sensitive to it. And then they, like, I get a lot of that kind of, like, good for you. Yeah. Like, good for you, Queensland shitbag. <laughs> you know? And it's, like, it's so insulting. It's, like, why wouldn't I fucking love reading, um, you know, Jeffrey Eugenitis or, so, you, know, or you know, whatever, you know? Like, why wouldn't I get off on Geraldine Brooks the same way your rich son does, you know? It's, like... yeah. And it's like, man, you know, and I, I do, I find that, like, it's that weird thing, like, um, you know, uh, we, we've got to do all we can to just get money in their pockets, you know, when it's not the truth at all. What we have to do, here's the truth, this is why I wrote this book, we've got to change what they see in the mirror. We've got to change what they see in the mirror, those kids. Like, we've got, we got, we got to give them a version of themselves that they can see in the mirror and go, I want that. What, what do you want them to see in the mirror, Trent? Um, not, not, not the past and not the present. Because this is, this is, the whole book is all, this girl finds this kind of, this mirror, and, and she finds it in a curbside collection, and she starts seeing this girl, Lola, who keeps telling her, like, all the things that she can become. But, but the mirror doesn't lie, as we know. Mirrors don't lie. They're pretty brutal. And uh, so she makes sure she tells her, like, everything she needs to know about the present and how dark it is and how hard she's going to have to work to get every dream that she wants. And, and, and like, I just want, I, I would like them to see the same stuff I saw, but, but then stop seeing. So the stuff I saw, 
at 12. I swear, Indira, like I, 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 had, I saw Daniel Day-Lewis. Like I wanted to be Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> it's so friggin' ridiculous. Like Daniel Day-Lewis in Last of the Mohicans. All right. I wanted to be that man. Right. Not my left foot. Not, no, 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 no. And not the boxer, not in the name of the father. Um, but it was, it was it, this version of yourself that's powerful yeah. and well-spoken and like Winona Ryder might go out with you, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and it's that, right? And honestly, I saw it. And then I could also play football as well, like a really good, like Wally Lewis meets Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, <laughs> that's who I saw. And... Uh, but, but honestly, like, what happened was I hit about 16 and I honestly, like, I started wearing this American baseball cap and I pulled it over my head because I was a dark mofo. I was a dark kid. Like, mm. I was just, like, only thing I would say into the mirror was, like, fuck them all. Like, and I would get up and I'd whisper it and I'd, like, grip my teeth like Clint Eastwood and I'd just go, fuck them all. Mm. And then you'd pull your hat and then you'd grab your Long Beach Mild and, you know, a hose pipe and you're out of there, you know? And... You're not looking in the mirror at all. Like, you just stop. And it's like, I got asked at this thing, I swear. Like, I got asked at this youth forum for Brisbane crime, like Brisbane youth crime. It's a massive issue in Brisbane, and I guess it probably is here. Um, but they're like, what will we do about the youths, Trent? And um, it's like I could give 200 answers for that, but it was, um, I did, honestly, and I, I was really thinking about this. Like, and it's my beautiful editor, Catherine Milne, that, we came up with this mirror thing together. It was the most amazing kind of... I could tell you for an hour about how Catherine and I really, really dug deep. Mm, it like, works what are we, beautifully. What yeah. are we trying to say here? And Catherine said this thing. I'll never forget her. I hope she, she might be in here. I, oh, I love her. There she is. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That woman really dug deep. on. Like, and what are we trying to say? And I, I started thinking about this stuff. About that stuff, about who, who did I want to be when I was a kid. And, and, I, and I, anyway, I, I told this youth forum, I just said, please, um, as a community, can we help change what those young boys are, are seeing in the mirror? Because right now, they're seeing total, they're only seeing what's outside the door. Mm. And it's shit. You know, and so it, it's very easy to go rob a place if, if, if you're not even like, you know, you don't have to come back and look at yourself. You yeah. Know? There are some dark areas that you explore in the book, but there's a lot of joy. There's oh, yeah. a lot of, you know, um, fun moments as well. And the characters use art, whether it's, whether it's writing or, you know, looking at their natural world and enjoying it to get them through those dark moments. And I get a sense that writing for you is a little like that. It's how you've been processing some of the traumas that you've gone through, yeah. you know, from when you were that, that, that young Trent. So... How important is having an art form like writing for you to help you heal? Oh, it was everything. It was everything, Indira. Like, it was... And I've seen it. Like, I've seen the power of it. And, 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 and the, the universe decided that I would get to be a journalist, like, at 20. And, and, and it came at... Right, I mean, journalism has brought me everything. On my first day, I, 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 January 10, 2000, this girl who looks like Tony Piran walked into my life... Tony Pirin from East Street, that's a 90s reference, <laughs> walked into my life, and that's my wife, Fiona, and then, well, and this will be the cheesiest thing you hear today, um, I started to like what I saw in the mirror. I, I met her, and I was friggin' running after her at train stations, <laughs> and I was like dressing better, and I was sort of combing my hair, and I, <laughs> I started to like what I saw in the mirror, you know, and it's like, 
but, but then at the same time, I was pouring all of that, all of that stuff into stories, you know, and actively tracking down, you know, well, and then five years I go in and then I get a job where I get to go, okay, now I get to talk to criminals and I get to go, uh, why did you do that? And, and then they give me beautiful answers sometimes. And I go, thank you, because I can apply that to this guy, Gary, that I, you know, who's Lyle in that book, you know? And I go, thank you, because you've let, allowed me to see that better. And yeah, and, and like the, the, the book is like the girl draws, and it's just something I wish I, uh, I would have, and I did draw a lot, but just badly when I was a teenager. And um, Indira, can I just introduce everyone to a guy named Paul Heppel, who's in the audience? <laughs> Oh, there he is up the back. He unbelievably bought his own family tickets, like, oh. and he's totally the co-writer of this book. Um, Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't even know it, but someone sent me something beautiful about him, and I'm not going to say what it was, and about why, why this book meant something to him. And it was so, so deeply moving. And I was like, holy shit, you don't even know anything. When I contacted that guy, he, Paul did a... So the girl draws in the book and she's processing, as Indira said, and she's processing her life with these black ink sketches and she's, she sort of sees a future for herself where the world's talking about her. She sort of fantasises about this future world where she's significant. And so therefore every moment in 2023 that she does, like walks across Victoria Bridge, that's significant. And if she meets a boy, like that could be significant because that could become like one of the great artistic relationships, you know? And... Uh, and I phoned up this guy, Paul, because he'd done a, an ink sketch of Eli Bell with Slim Halliday on the Hornybrook Bridge straight wow. out of Boy Swallow's universe. And it, was, and it made me like, just weep. I was like, that's amazing. In fact, it was his beautiful wife, Nerida, who sent it to me, tagged me in on Instagram. So Nerida is here as well. Thank you, Nerida. It's always the wives who make it happen. Sorry, I'm just like, I'm sorry, Indira. I'm just apologising to you. But, no, but, but then, but, but then Paul, I, I call him up and I go, mate, this character, she processes life, you know, through black ink sketches. And it's kind of like the way I see you draw. It's kind of like, I think she's you. And, uh, and he just goes, I'm in, man. I'm in. And yeah. what proceeded, I just cannot wait for you guys to flip through this book and come to every chapter and see what Paul has done. So each chapter opens with a little, with an image that gives you a, that flags Beautiful. the coming narrative. And it's that man there and he just put his heart and soul, but you don't know why someone is doing it. And I'm not gonna say what it was, but this person, a family member of Paul sent me just a little bit more, I don't know, you know, I know him really well. We worked together for like two years now and I didn't know this thing. And it was so beautiful. And I was just like, you know, we all need to do these things. There's so much heart, so much heart in in you, in in your writing, in your characters. Um, It's it's just beautiful and a very generous act, actually, for you to relive some of those traumatic moments in your life to bring these characters alive. So thank you so much for that. I have to sort of open up the floor now to a couple of questions because I know there'd be a lot of audience members who want to ask you some other questions. Your questions were amazing. No, you, you, thank you. you. Were, your answers were brilliant. That was like beyond I, top I shelf. Even, and dear <laughs> You're amazing. Thank We've you. got to come back. No, this is amazing. So... We've got um, two spaces here, two places here for any questions. Oh, yes, we've got a lady here oh, in the front. Oh, thank you. Good on thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for your fabulous books. I order them as soon as I know they're going to come out. Thank you so much. <laughs> they're all full of love. But my little question is, I read in the article about your book, Detours. Yes. 
were there only 500 copies? Is it possible to get a copy? <laughs> oh. oh, you're so beautiful. There's like one in Brisbane that I know of. And I, I kind of could send it to you if you want. So, yeah. But you've got to really look after it because like, there's literally like that only one I know of. But I'm, I, you, you struck me as someone who could look after a book. Yeah. You, so I'm, I, I think it would be safe in your hands. Talk, yeah. I have a feeling there may be a reprint of Detours somehow. <laughs> oh, so, wow. There may be. Oh, you guys are the best. Catherine Milne. No, no, no. No, it's, it needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> Justin Lee. Oh, I love this man. There's a lot of musical references in Lola. Oh. Is there one that particularly means a lot to you? Oh. Okay. Can you um, just repeat the question? Sorry, what Justin asked was there's a lot of musical references in Lola in the Mirror. And, uh, and it's such a beautiful question, Justin. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, the, whole, the whole, the girl, um, del- so basically she goes through some trouble, this kid, right? It's, it's one of my books, but she, um, she finds herself, you know, kind of looked after with a kind of a, a bit of a Fagin character, like kind of um, who kind of gets uh, into dealing drugs. And, uh, and she delivers her drugs in, um, behind cheap CDs, like CD imports, like hides the little packets behind. But, you know, she loves the music more than she likes the drugs. And so um, she carries around particularly Madonna. Like she just loves Like a Prayer. And, uh, and, and I put that in there because um, Like a Prayer, like the Dalton boys are going through all that stuff, right? Mm. Like this, this is in this monster's house, actually. This is where Jesse and I really dig on this. It's like 89. Um, and, and, uh, and we're just smashing like a prayer for some reason. Because she was a goddess. Like she, she was in her, like she was untouchable. And, and, uh, and we're just smashing like a prayer. And, um, and then she's singing songs though, right? There's a song she sings, and I riff on it for like two pages in Lola in the Mirror. There's a song called Till, Till Death Do Us Part. And it's, oh, I, I shouldn't even say this out loud. It's basically about people believe, okay, I'll say this. People believe it's about Sean Penn and like him being a bit monstrous, right? But I'm not ragging on Sean Penn because it got proven that like he goes, it wasn't me, but it was like someone in Madonna's life, right? Was treating her bad. Yeah. And like to the Dalton boys, we're like, holy shit, Madonna's singing about Adults, what you're going through. You know, and that's like, it's the power of music and, and like we, that stuff, man, she was like Dorothy for us and like she, she could take us away. Man, you watch the Papa Don't Preach video and she's just like, you're freaking mesmer. Rage, Mark Fitzgerald is here. <laughs> Mark? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Indira's husband. <laughs> Indira Naidu's husband, partner, husband? Husband. Mark Fitzgerald is the voice that goes, rage, rage, r- r- rage, rage. <laughs> that dude! <laughs> Mark, you are part of the effing greatest love story of my life, man, which is honestly every Saturday morning, man, just every Sunday morning, every Saturday night, watching Kate Bush video, and it, mate, watching Guns N' Roses, you know, it's you, Mark, and, and, and <laughs> it's unbelievable. And, uh, and, and, but we're watching Madonna most of all. And what, mate, Mark, you ran, you, he ran a Madonna special and you're just there, just, you imagine like, dad's on the piss and you're just like, shit, dad, dad, sh- stop it. Madonna's on. <laughs> and it's just great. And he's wanting to switch over, watch Platoon and, and it's just like, nah, 
and the Dalton boys are just fixated on this girl. So, like, Justin, it's, it's her all the way in that book. And, and it's her, and fast forward, she's also, the kid's also a um, massive Taylor Swift fan. And that's, that's my daughters. That's, that's femininity coming into the Dalton world. Like, that's those girls. So I've got 16 and 14-year-old girls who jag Taylor Swift tickets. Mm. And, um, and I'm just paying tribute to, like, what that girl, what that woman has done for my kids. And yeah. so it's Madonna and Taylor, but mostly Madonna, in your yeah. in answer, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Music can save you. Any other questions for Trent? There's a woman at the back. Oh, my God, the grand entrance. Um, <laughs> that was like Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, like... it was. <laughs> um, I'm just interested in where do you shelve your trauma when you're writing about trauma? And how do you work through it? Oh, that's or a how really... did you manage to successfully work through it? You have a massive heart. Only a person with a massive heart would ask, would ask such a question. Thank you. Um, I, I think I put it in my wife, who um, gets the worst of me, because the books get the best of me. And, um, you know, and, and I come upstairs, and she's battling some stuff, like just life stuff, and it's just a flurry of activity upstairs, and I walk into it, and... And, and she, she will look at me sometimes and understand me and, and know that I've drifted off it sometimes and, and just sometimes she'll just really, really understand me and I'm extremely grateful for that. And, um, and, and then I, I, I think I do, like, honestly, I, I, like, I use it, like, I use it for, for good. Like, and I just, I actually think about that stuff. Like, that stuff I was just telling Indira... Like, I often think about that stuff and about the Dalton boys fighting in a yard. And it will... You, you can turn trauma into electricity. You know, act, actively turn your dark stuff into electricity. And just, like... Like, that's why my books are so weird. Like, and they, they don't read well. They're not, they're not like Geraldine Brooks. They read like a guy who's just physically processing trauma and then going, ah! And it is. And then, like, poor Catherine has to deal with that. Like, and... <laughs> And they do it brilliantly, and Scott Forbes does it. And, it. and it's like, I promise you, it goes into the fingertips and then into the keys, and then it goes to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. What a beautiful question. Have you thought about what you might be writing about when you're um, maybe in your 50s? Will you? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, yeah. What are you going to be writing about when you're in your 50s? That's really great. I'm not far off. I'm not far off. <laughs> oh, um, I'll say 60s. <laughs> yeah, cool. cool. Oh, you give, I love that. A long shelf life. I would love that. Yeah. Um, I hope, like, I really want to write about adults for a bit. Like, I really want to write about, after ending this little trilogy, I really want to write about adults for a while and try and be good at that, you know, try and get good and say something about that that offers something to the world. Um, and then I, I hope, when I'm 60, I reckon... I hope I'm a granddad, and I hope I can kind of go back through that trilogy again. You know, I, that'd be really sweet, you know, and, like, I'd be looking... You know, I, I just can't wait for that. Like, <laughs> are there any grandparents in the house? Like, that must be the best thing in the world. Like, you know, yeah, just, like, it's so beautiful. And, I, you know, I, I hope I'm this... I hope I'm fishing, and I'm all crusty, 
and I, I look like, um, you know, Tom, I want to be Tom Keneally, basically. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just saying he's crustier. <laughs> I freaking love that guy, but I just want to ha- be happy like him, and I want to be writing like him, and just like, yeah, well, like Stephen King, and just write regularly, and, uh, and just write about, like, you know, all, all the powerful things that I come across, and hopefully about all the, all the things that I've learned still talking to people too, you know? I hope, man, if nothing else, I hope I'm back on a corner writing Love Stories 5. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Let's say that. Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> thank you. Hi, Trent. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I didn't realise it would be so ochre because I'm, yeah, this is the first time I've been seeing you in person. <laughs> and you're, so, you're so endearing and so genuine. So thank oh, you for thank that. You. And, um, Bloody yeah. hell, that's the <laughs> nicest thing I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess (laughs) this is more of a personal question, you kind of answered it previously, but um, I work in journalism as well and I dabble in creative writing and yeah, I guess because you've sort of crossed over to more creative writing and, you know, writing books, would you ever return to journalism or, you know, would you ever, yeah, the state of the media that it is right now and... Mm. what journalism offers? Is there something that would, yeah, entice you back? I, I, and dear, we talk about this all, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, like, I'm still on the paper. Like, I'm, I'm, I just, I don't get paid. <laughs> well organised! <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but that allows me to, yeah, I will never stop being a journo. It's so good for the soul. And, and all Love Stories was, was journalism. It was me actively trying to kind of get out of my head, like, and just go... Um, Okay, there's another three-letter word starting with Y that I love just as much as yes, and it's you. And it's like, not me, you know, and, and it's like, that's what journalism speaks to. You know, it is a whole bunch of selfless people who have devoted their lives to you. And it's like, that's cool. That's a cool career. And it's like, it's very powerful. It's the, the very act of it is humble. And, and you get told you're an asshole, and you, people slam the door in your face. That's really good for the soul. That's good. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Um, you know, you get shouted at, and but also you get thanked and f- for doing something true if you do it right. And um, it's something that I did it the other day. I did it only recently. I did a big story, um, and it was the best thing I could have done in the lead up to this to sort of these indulgent things that I get. You, you know, I get to come here and. Yeah. indulging me for about an hour and stuff, but it was so healthy for me to go. I went to this shelter and caught back up with the same shelter that I was talking about in Detours. And I'm like, how's things going? Oh, it's worse than ever? Oh, shit, I'm going to write a 4,000-word piece about that. And it was really powerful. And people were like, thank you. And there was this one person, yeah, that she wrote a letter into the magazine. She's like, I was going to go to the opera or something, and now I'm going um, to uh, go give money to Trent's book launch because they're giving away $20 of every ticket to women's homelessness, and it's sort of like that's that's journalism, you know, that can do that sometimes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll never stop. Like, what about you? What well, about ju- you? Journalism about- is a privilege. I mean, who needs mm. to be paid for it? That that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I? What, what do you do with the darkness? What do I do with the darkness? Um, yeah, your book really made me think about that because I had to explore that in this recent book of mine, the Space Between the Stars. And it talks about how nature helped me heal when, after my sister took her life during lockdown in 2020 in Melbourne. And I don't think I'd do it nearly as successfully as you because oh, you are just the epitome of optimism and, and hope and love and truth, you know? 
so I think you're, you're almost a dark Avenger. It just bounces off you or something. Oh, wow. you, you do. Um, because it is very hard for that stuff not to sink into you and not to sit in you. Yeah. And I think, as I, we, we were talking about, we're very lucky we can write. Yeah. I think art, whether whatever it is, music or painting or, or use your art, your creativity, that is such a good device to help you work through those traumas and that darkness and, and get it out of your system. Yeah, so... We're lucky we can write. Yeah. Thank you. That is so beautiful. That is so well said. <laughs> now we have time for one, one more question. Thanks for these amazing questions. Yeah, They're there's, incredible. there's a woman here Thank, in that the... That question was great. Thank you. Was there a lot of apprehension before you came to the public and started the conversation about your own experiences yeah. with all these traumas? Like, how long were you sitting on having almost like this release for you personally and then to take the plunge and share it with the rest of the world? That's a beautiful question. Thank you so much. Um, uh, huge amount of fear um, and the same fear that I had at 12 when like kids at school would go, hey man, like, why is your mum not at tuck shop? And it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't have the wherewithal or the courage to tell you that, like, she's going through hell. And, uh, but one day, she's going to be, like, the best freaking grandmother ever. And, like, people at her work are going to, like, love the fact that uh, she's, like, the hardest worker in that place. And, and then they're going to even love the fact that she had to do this incredibly awkward thing, like, go into a boss's office at the insurance claim agency and say, knock, knock, um, sorry, my youngest son is this writer and he's written this book about the 1980s and uh, you might hear about it and it, it involves all this wild stuff that we did. And it's like, um, so I came to write Boyce Fuller's Universe and it was like, i got to get it out, um, had to kind of do it. And then the biggest thing for me was the fear of the like four or five people that I loved the most. And it was like my three older brothers my wife and my mum. And, and it was like, will they, will they be okay? And, uh, and I wrote that book knowing that maybe I won't even show it to them, you know? And, um, and how were they? Well, then, oh, it's the, it's the most magic... Okay, every one of their responses were amazing. So, so I go to mum first. Um, mum reads it in like two days. And she's like, calls up. And I, and I, and I said, I said, listen... I just needed to do this. I just needed to get to that final full stop. I just needed to, you know, I'm not kidding you guys. I'm not just, that is the fact. I, and I, would, I was really proud of myself getting to that full stop. And that, would have, that feeling would have been enough to sustain me through 30 more years of journalism. Like, honestly, I love journalism. I would have been fine not doing any further. Um, and then I call mom and I was like, hey, you need to read this thing. It's kind of wild. It makes, you know, it's, it's pretty ambitious and it's a... It's a bit weird, but um, if there's anything in here that you don't like, um, you know, it'll stay in the drawer, and that, that's okay. And mum calls back, hey, like, two days later, and she's like, Trent, this is going to be so awkward. Like, she knows what's possibly coming. And she goes, but it's beautiful, and it's, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than us. Um, you friggin' go for it. And then she, she says, but also I've got 20 pages of Spyrax notes. <laughs> I swear to God, and these notes belong in, like, the Queensland Museum, I swear to God. <laughs> they are the funniest thing. It's all blue, you know, kilometrico pen, and it's like, page uh, 25, um, five kilograms of heroin didn't cost that in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> oh, serious, serious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, page 182, uh, 
they never served us um, lamb cutlets in prison. <laughs> Just no way, no way. And like, what a freaking beautiful mum. You know, what a woman. Like, and I'm telling you, that woman wasn't able to give me anything. And, uh, you know, she gave me a story, you know. She gave, me, she gave me that story or permission to tell that story. And I just, she's my freaking hero for that. And then, and then the voice, okay, Joel, bro, I'm so sorry, man. I went there, you know, please, Ben, please read it, Jesse. And the boys just read it. And it's awkward. It's awkward. No one wants it. Like, no one wants that in the world. Like, why would you want that? But yet they do. They're so freaking proud of it. And they will suffer, those poor boys will suffer any awkward comment or any weird look or anything because they know that that's how they're, mate, they're just telling the joke on the train. They're telling the joke on the train again. And it's so friggin' beautiful to me that they're still telling the joke. You know, they're going, oh, whatever, you, whatever you need to do, man, to stop crying, you know? And I'm like, what friggin' beautiful boys, you know? And then my wife is just, go for it, you know? Well done, you know? And it's so friggin' beautiful. So that helps me fight all that fear and all that stuff that I, that I worried about. My brother Jesse said the funniest thing, though. He, the, the comment of all comments is from Jesse. He goes, he reads it and he's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all right, it's all right. And uh, he goes great, now I'm going to be Chris Jagger. And I go, and I go, <laughs> um, I go, uh, who's Chris Jagger? He goes, it's Mick Jagger's brother. And, uh, <laughs> and I go, I didn't know Mick Jagger had a brother. He goes, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Trent Dalton. Love that man. That Thank man's, you. You need to read his books, Jesse Dalton. He's the best frigging writer in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Trent Dalton, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.